Welcome to the Rehope Belfast podcast. We're so glad you're taking the time to listen to the message from Sunday. May this message be a blessing to you today. A quick story. This week, um, Ruth and I were in London. and We had a quick uh, night away in London. And, and as part of, while we were over there, we, we surprised my mum for her 60th birthday. She was on a train and we literally jumped on the train and went, well, I walked up behind her and went, tickets, please. <laughs> I videoed the whole thing and her face was an absolute scene of horror. Um, she, she hates surprises. But one of the things that we did do whilst we were in London is we, uh, we rented scooters. Here's Ruth on a scooter. Um, come on, there's a video. Um, click on, Chloe. Should go on. Yeah, there she goes. Come on. Uh, we drove around London on scooters. It was amazing. Um, but, but one of the things that happens on, uh, on a scooter, which we didn't realize... Uh, is that there's certain kind of black spots in London whereby if you drive into them, your scooter just dies. Uh, and so the engine just cuts out and you can't go anymore. Uh, and we, we had no idea this, was, this happened. So we were driving along uh, at our maximum speed of 12 miles an hour, which when you're on a scooter in the middle of London feels quite fast. Um, uh, uh, and especially when you're hitting potholes and everything. But, but then we were going down the mall towards Buckingham Palace because we had a dinner date with the Queen. And we were on our way there. And, uh, and as we were going down the mall, the, the scooter just completely cut out. And we had no idea. Like, we, we looked at it like both of us just like cut out. I was like, what was going on? And, and so... Of course, we hadn't really read the FAQs or, you know, all the things that it says on the app that you have to read before you get on the scooter. Um, and so I quickly pulled up the app. I was like, and lo and behold, there's, there's certain zones in London uh, where if you drive into them because your scooter is linked to GPS, your scooter just cuts out and there's no power left in the scooter. And so then we left slightly red-faced. We had to then push the scooter <laughs> along the rest of the way. But here's the thing. You know, for us, in that moment, we knew where we wanted to go. We knew the direction in which we wanted to go. The destination in our minds was known. The road ahead was clear, but something externally was stopping us. Something externally was stopping us. Over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at who are we becoming. We've been asking ourselves and asking one another this question, because so much of what goes on in the world is molding and forming us into the types of people that we are becoming. Are we becoming the people of God made in his image, people who mirror his image back to a broken world? Are we the types of people who are filled with agape love for others or are we becoming something different? You know, over the last number of weeks, we've looked at practices which we see woven through the life of Jesus to help give us a framework in which to build out a life which is shaped by Christ. Things like generosity, scripture reading, prayer, making ourselves available. But my concern, both over my life and over our lives, is that in the words of Rich Valodis, and his, he's a pastor from New York, in his book, Deeply Formed Life, he says, instead of each of us being deeply formed by Christ, we are instead settling for being shallowly shaped. We're settling for being shallowly shaped. We do the bare minimum. We perhaps shy away from making any changes, and rather we make superficial changes in our lives. And rather than doing things out of a deep felt conviction that God has something more for us, a greater revelation for our lives, and rather than having a greater hunger to see the kingdom of God around us, a desire for the gifts of the Spirit, more of a hunger to step out into the world to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we settle for being shallowly shaped rather than deeply formed. The Apostle Paul, 
on one of his letters, wrote to a group of Christians in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And the letter was written to a group of people who were marked by a preoccupation with, with religious changes that kept them from experiencing deep transformation in Christ. And he says this. I'm going to read two different translations. In the CSB, it says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Or in the message, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, says, I can't believe how you waver, how you easily have turned traitor to him who called you by the grace of Christ by embracing an alternative message. The Galatians had drifted away from the central message of God's grace found in Christ. And so I wonder if over the past number of weeks, in our conversation of who are we becoming, that it's left you, just like Ruth and I on the mall on the way to see the queen on our scooters, it's left you frozen in your tracks with no way to go. Perhaps you know the direction in which you want to go in. You're aware of some of the challenges that lie ahead. You know that some of the changes that you make are going to cost you. But there are other things that are going on in your life that are causing you to not enter in. To not say fully yes to Jesus. And rather you settle into not going all the way. Maybe you've run out of steam. Maybe you're exhausted. You're burdened with anxiety. Your past and your mind just looks brighter than your future. Maybe you're feeling numb to the power and possibility of a life lived in Christ. Perhaps you have, like the Galatians, you've drifted away from the core message of the gospel. Perhaps you've come to believe a lie of who you are in Christ because the pain of your present is so great and your past has such a strong hold on you. Perhaps you're finding it even hard to consider for a moment what it looks like to walk in freedom, to walk forgiven, to walk free, completely forgiven, set free by Jesus, to walk as one who is chosen by God. Perhaps you feel so judged by the voices that condemn you. Perhaps you feel so burdened by and haunted by decisions that you made yesterday, last year, 10 years ago, and it weighs heavy on you. And any thoughts of an internal examination of who you are stood before a mirror, stood before God, just is terrifying. Because the things that are shaping and forming you, whether that be the perceived notion of self and what you think of about yourself, whether that be your family of origin, where you've been, and, and how your family has shaped and molded you, whether that be the culture that you're living in, the suggestions that we receive constantly through social media and the TV, the value systems of the world, some of which you agree with and some of which make you deeply angry. These are all, like it or not, shaping us into the types of people who we are becoming. And so as we sit in the here and now, in this moment, I wonder if, like me, you're growing a little disillusioned with who we are becoming and the whole conversation about it because everything feels so heavy. Laura spoke earlier about the heaviness. And so any thought of who you are becoming in the future just feels so weighty in the now because there's so much going on in your mind. And you can't quite put a finger on it. You can't quite wrestle with what it is that you are feeling 
but it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you uneasy about any thoughts of the future because right now just feels so hard. I'm glad you came to church. <laughs> In the Bible, there's this incredible story of this man named Lazarus. He's a man from Bethany. I'm going to read you a portion of scripture here of this story. It says, now a man was sick. This is Lazarus from Bethany. This is the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him. Lord, the one you love is sick. Notice the language that is used there. Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus knew Lazarus. Not only that, Jesus loved Lazarus. He had such a heart for Lazarus. When Jesus heard it, he said, the sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Throughout this story, you're going to catch glimpses of the strangeness of what Jesus is saying. Now, Jesus loved Martha. He loved her sister and he loved Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he does what? He runs to Lazarus. No, he doesn't. It says in the text, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. This story gets all the more confusing. Verse 7, then after that, he said to the disciples, now let's go to Judah. Let's jump down to verse 11. And then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will, he will get well. The disciples think in this moment, he's just talking about Lazarus has fallen into a human sleep. He's just, he's just fallen asleep. He's just having a nap. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. But they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now catch these words in verse 15. This is where we just go full-blown Oh, I can't understand this. Verse 15, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. This is just a bonkers, weird story. Jesus loves Lazarus. Jesus catches word that Lazarus is sick. Jesus doesn't go running. Jesus waits for two days. And then he has the audacity before the disciples to say, I'm glad I wasn't there. What? Like, what is Jesus doing in this moment? Because Jesus is the Messiah, he's the saving one. He's the one who came to redeem and make whole the whole world. He's the one who has the power within him to heal Lazarus with but a word. And then he doesn't go to him. He doesn't go to him. Jesus knows full well how sick Lazarus is. He knows that the sickness that he has is not going to end in sleep. It's going to end in his death. And so he doesn't go. He waits for two days. He waits for two days, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Now, Jesus ends that sentence, so that you may believe. Jesus says to his disciples in this moment, in this very weighty, confusing moment, I'm glad I was not there to save him, so that you may have faith, so that you would believe so that you would truly see what I am doing. I am glad I was not there. Do you understand that this moment's so confusing for the disciples? For a, a number of months now, this is just me bearing my soul. I've got a mic, so um, let's go there. 
um, for a number of months now, I've been walking in, um, I guess, simplest way of putting it is a, a deep place of pain. Uh, and some of you know this, some of you are aware. Um, and through a number of circumstances, I've just been walking in real sadness. And I've said this before, and I'll I say it again before you. I want to apologize again for I've not been my best as a leader, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. And some of you are looking at me right now going, what the heck is this guy about? <laughs> you know, this week, again, just to be honest, I started the process of going to counseling. And I'm... <laughs> Try not to cry. Um, but I'm just working on a lot of stuff. And, uh, and I want to say I'm deeply sorry for where my wounding has led to me wounding others, where my pain has caused me to hurt others, where my lack of spiritual resilience has led to a spiritual apathy in others, where my many mistakes and shortcomings have led to failures around me and in this church. And I've no excuses for where I've been other than I'm not complete. I'm, I'm broken. Um, I'm not in any way at the point of perfection in any way, shape, or form. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Or in the language that Paul says, <laughs> I'm the greatest of all sinners. But yet grace covers me. Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor, and there's many moments where I just look upon myself and I go, I don't deserve that in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not saying this at all for a pity party. What I want to do right now is to open up an avenue for even if it's just one person to walk in with me, to see that actually in the place of your pain can come a great breakthrough, can come a great breakthrough. What does scripture tell us? His mercies are new every morning and I praise God for that truth. But you see the thing that I've been pondering on as I've been in this process of pain before the Lord and before others is that I don't wanna wallow in the pain. I don't wanna get angry in my doubt. I don't want my life to be defined by my mistakes. I don't wanna get frustrated in my questions but rather I'm asking the Lord, what is it that you're doing in my life through this time? And who is it that I'm becoming? Because you see, the thing is, when we begin to ask that question, who are we becoming, who am I becoming? It is something that is happening to all of us. Whether we are sitting in pain and sorrow and grief or whether we are walking in great joy and delight, whether everything is happening to you and for you and you just have the world laid before you, you are still becoming someone in that moment. You are still becoming someone in that moment. If you are walking in pain, you are becoming and being shaped by the things that are around you in that moment. And so you have to ask that question, who am I becoming? I watched a, again, I go down weird rabbit holes of watching videos. I watched a video this week. Anyone watch the Vox videos on YouTube? Yeah, 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 a few of you. And there was a video this week that got released on, um, on the basement craze of London, right? Really random nine-minute video of, like, the basement craze in London because in London, you can't build up or out on a lot of these fancy houses in, in like, Knightsbridge and Chelsea. And so what they're doing is they're building down. And so they've categorized it into, like, the rich and the super rich and the super, super crazy rich where they've mapped on a map of London where the, like, 
It's got the highest density of swimming pools in the whole of the UK, all of them underground. Isn't that just nuts? And so it's like, who are these people becoming? Like, they are being shaped by the worldview that they have. But then, you st- but then one of the things that's in the video is just outside of that concentration of, like, the amount of swimming pools, you step outside that border, and it's one of the least deprived areas in the country. And you've got this weird disparity. And on both sides, in the joy and in the pain, in the rich and the poor, they are all becoming something, being shaped by the worldview that they hold. We are all becoming something. In my place of pain, I'm asking that question, who am I becoming? And I wonder, for someone here today, just as I am wrestling with this, I wonder, in our place of weakness, can we say that we are grateful for it? What did Jesus say to, his, to the disciples? I am glad I was not there. It seemed like a weird statement, but I wonder in our place of pain, when things aren't going right, can we say before the Father, I am grateful for what I'm going through? That in the place of our weakness, can we say I'm grateful for it because it's forming in me character. In our place of waiting, where we're praying, praying, praying night and day and we're not seeing breakthrough. Can we say I am grateful for it because it's forming in me patience. It's forming in me trust to the Father. I wonder in our place of disappointment where life just hasn't handed us a good lot of cards and we're just dealing with, can we say I'm grateful for it? Because actually in that place of disappointment, I'm learning to have grace over my life and grace over others when they are going through hard times. I wonder, in our place of pain, can we say we are grateful for it? I think sometimes, and I might get an email for this, but I'll go there. Sometimes I think God takes us through pain, through disappointment, through brokenness, through times of waiting. He takes us through those so that his true purposes would be revealed. So that in that place of our brokenness and our weakness that God is saying, I am shaping and forming you into becoming someone that I desire you to become. Stop resting in your own strength. I want you to become the person, the man, the woman that I've made you to be. Would you trust me? Would you lay down your agenda, your desire for whatever that is, fill in the blank for you, and would you learn that in your place of pain that there is a purpose, in your place of disappointment that there is a purpose, in the place of your brokenness that there is a purpose, there is a purpose in the waiting There is a purpose in the pain. You see, the story of Lazarus at that moment doesn't end in death. Verse 38, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was the cave and the stone lay against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead for days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. May this be a prayer for someone here right now. I know that you always hear me. Because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe that you sent me. After he said this, he said with a loud voice, Lazarus. Come out. Then the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips. I mean, this is just a creepy, zombie, weird moment. He's bound head and foot. He comes out linen strips with his face wrapped in cloth. And, he, and Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. <laughs> Didn't I tell you, Jesus says, that if you believe, you would see the glory of God. This moment happened not necessarily just to see his friend raised, but it happened so that the glory of God would be made known. There is power in your story because in your testimony, even in the place of disappointment, in the place of pain, in the place of waiting, 
It is not necessarily just for you. It is so that the glory of God may be known. Like your story and who you are becoming and who you are being shaped by in this moment, where even when there is hurt, I wonder, is it a story that God is shaping for his glory? That there is a miracle breakthrough moment that is going to be a story of his miraculous healing, of his miraculous provision, of his miraculous hope, of his miraculous peace, of his miraculous love that breaks out over your life. There's a portion of scripture that I keep coming back to. I've shared this with read-through. I'll, sh- I'll share it here. I think I've done it before, but uh, Psalm 23, and I've got it um, above my desk. And in Psalm 23, in verse 4, just read this. It says, Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Notice the language that it says there, even when. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say if I go through danger. It says even when. Why does it say that? It's because he, the psalmist knows that you are going to go through moments when life sucks. Even when you go through those dark moments. Even when... Your car breaks down and you lose out financially. Even when you're waiting for that thing to come right. Even when that friendship breaks down. Even when you go through a moment of internal breakdown. Even when. It's not if, it's even when. You know, have you ever been that person? And there's no judgment because I've been there. And you've looked at other people and you've gone, man, the way that they're dealing with their kids, I would never be that person. Man, they always shower their kids. Gosh, I don't want to be that person. And then guess what? I have kids and I start shouting at my kids. <laughs> you ever been that person who's looked upon someone who's got anxiety and you go, I just don't get it. How can they be this anxious about stuff? And then something happens in your life and you're like, I'm so anxious. You're like, whoa, gosh, it's me. Like even when, it's not if, it's even when. There are going to be moments in life that do not happen the way that you want them to do. And so who are we becoming? Are we becoming a people who are self-aware enough to know that there is even when, so there's not ifs? Even when I go through the darkest valley, even when, and I fear no danger, for you are with me. You know, let me say this today. Never say never. (laughs) Never say never. Even when. You know, we don't know what life will throw at us, what uncertainties will come our way, how we react in those moments, but there are even when moments. It's not if, it's even when. There is going to be darkness that comes. You know, in the darkest of times, the Lord is with us. He is our great shepherd. For the shepherd, the rod, he has two tools. The rod is a tool of protection and yet a symbol of love. And the staff is a tool of rescue and also that of guidance. And it's those things that give the person who's in that even when moment a place of comfort. It's that knowledge of God being a protector a rescuer, a guide, that in our even when moments, even when that situation comes, there is comfort that is on the other side of it. When our prayers seem like they're taking a long time to be answered, we can receive great comfort from the Lord. Okay, that was all heavy, right? Everyone okay? I'm okay. I didn't, I, I didn't shed a single tear, but I'm okay. I was close. Right, pivot with me for a moment. I'm going to do a little bit of movie theory. <laughs> A-level movie theory. This is, some of you are like, okay, try this, smart guy. Pivot from that moment into this. Okay, movie theory. Let's go to the screen. Okay. This is the basic plot line of a movie. <laughs> Most movies follow this plot line. Rebecca, you're with me because you love all things story, right? So in the beginning of the exposition, this is where you meet the characters and you get to know them and your heart begins to go, oh, I like that person. And then 
You get rising action, which is then when you meet the antagonist and you meet this motley crew who try to like take away, take over the world, right? They try to, you know, take away, like you think of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring and, and come on, you with me on this? Fellowship of the Ring and you meet the characters and you're like, oh, Frodo and Sam, they're lovely, it's great. And then you meet Sauron and you meet, and it begins to develop the Urukai. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's just this moment where you get this rising action and this tension in the story. Yeah, you know the stories. You can think of stories. Most stories follow this line. And then you reach the point of a climax where there's a great big battle. There's the moment where like this, the big fight happens, which brings the story to a to a point of climax where it's just like who's gonna win? And more often than not, it's the goodie. And then plot of that story. Normally the good guy wins, right? And then in that moment, you then have the climax moment. Sometimes someone dies. And and then the storyline begins to then fade into this kind of, you move down to the conclusion. But there's falling action. A story always has falling action. This is oftentimes, you know, the last half an hour of a movie where some of you kind of go, would this just hurry up and end? Because they just kind of like eke it out a little bit longer, a little bit longer. There's another little storyline, a plot line in there, which is like they try to, and, and then they end up going home and they recount the journey that they've been on. And oh, what, oh we did this and we learned this. And then the story ends and everyone goes home. Right? That, that's, a, that's a basic plot line of most, most movies. In, uh, you know, in, in falling action, think of uh, Beauty and the Beast, right? In Beauty and the Beast, there's a great battle scene. There's a big fight. Falling action occurs after the fight at the Beast Castle. Anyone seen Beauty and the Beast? Come on. You're, all, you're probably all too young to watch Beauty and the Beast, right? Oh, a, there was a remake. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and, and, the, and then the Beast becomes human, and then we go down this line of the falling action where he realizes that Belle saved him and that she loves him, and it's all lovely, and the story begins to come to an end. And then, and then all the characters who were, you know, there was the clock and the teapot and all that, they become human again, and gradually the story then comes to a conclusion. There's falling action. You know, this week um, when Ruth and I were in London, we went to the West End and we went to see The Lion King. Anyone seen The Lion King? Yeah, 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 a number of you. Um, and the, uh, in the West End, it's just incredible. And, and, and I, I had this thought while I was writing this. I was like, why do, we, why, do we go and watch, why do we watch movies or the same movie over and over again? Any of you got a movie that you just like, you binge watch? You may have seen it like three times. And you're like, yeah, I'll watch it again. And like you've watched it. Anyone got a movie? Yeah. What's your movie, Sarah? Nice, yeah, come on. Anyone else? Is he... Okay, yeah, no, sorry, I missed you. Yes, really good movie. Dead Poets Society, great. Come on. Oh, you've let me down, Laura. Josh, oh, yes, come on. About time. I don't even know what that is, but... <laughs> I don't even know what that movie is. Who's in it? Okay, we're turning into movie club right now. Um... <laughs> but we have those movies, don't we, that we go back to. But even though in, in those movies, right, I was thinking of The Lion King, and there's the moment in The Lion King, oh, you can't really see it, drop the lights right down. Can we drop them right down? Probably just cut them, cut them off. Send the place to black. Okay, this is, like, this is like Pride Rock, right? And Scar has taken over Pride Rock, and everything's gone bleak, and all the grass has gone, all the animals have fled, and there's nothing left, right? You know the, you know the moment? And it's like, oh, gosh. But yet we watch these movies knowing that moments like this are going to come. And we know that in the darkness, in the moment where there is the darkness, that there is hope that is on the other side. But yet we sit through these movies, and we don't get to a moment like this in the movie and go, oh, no. 
oh, well, that's going to be the end. We're just going to leave on a downer. <laughs> like, there's not a moment in Lion King where it's just like, da-da, it's finished. And we're like, oh, so Scar did win. Oh, great. Like, the movie never finishes that way. And we know that when we watch movies like this and we think of The Lion King, we know that the circle of life is going to come back again. And at the end, there's going to be the celebration and they're going to lift up the new baby. And, like, the grass is going to be green and all the animals are going to be celebrating. And so we don't sit and watch movies like this or go to the West End show and see The Lion King and sit in a place of despair, even when the darkness comes. Even when there's darkness, we still celebrate because we know that the life is going to come back at the end. Right? You with me? Right? You see what I'm saying? You see, I think for so many of us, I can, I've got a number of other options, uh, other things here. Fellowship with in Gandalf falls and everything seems lost and hopeless and the Dark Knight rises. Bane has taken over Gotham and Batman is on his faraway trip in the prison, far away, I can't remember where it is. And like all the police officers are trapped underground. Do you remember that moment in Dark Knight Rises? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we know in those stories, in that story, Batman comes back and saves the day. Sorry, spoiler alert. We know that in The Lion King, Simba comes back and saves the day, right? We know that in the, in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo manages to get the ring and destroy it. We know that all these things happen, but we sit through the dark moments in a story knowing that there is hope, knowing that there is joy, knowing that there is life, knowing that there is resurrection on the way. And you see, I think the thing is for so many of us, we sit in the place of death without recognizing that there is life and hope and resurrection. I think for so many of us, and I, I say this to myself, I need to understand that I am a person of the resurrection because Jesus died and he rose again. That even in my place where life feels like this and it feels barren and lost and hopeless and empty and all hope seems like it's failed, that there is resurrection. We need to understand, friends, that even in our darkest of days, even when life is heavy, even when we've prayed those prayers over and over again and nothing has happened, we don't sit in this place. We don't sit in this place. We sit on the other side of the resurrection where Jesus went to the cross. He took on all the pain and the punishment that was yours to be taken on. And he said, it is finished. It is finished. And we get to live as a people of the resurrection, a people of hope that even in our darkest of moments, that we need to see that we are a people who are known, who are loved, who are cared for, who are cherished, that there is a Father in heaven who sees you and he is for you. He's not against you, he's with you. That even in your darkest of days, even when Pride Rock seems desolate, even when Gandalf has fallen to the Balrog, even when Bane seems like he's overtaken Gotham City, even when all those things have happened and your life feels fragile, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I am with you. You see, even in the darkest of moments, there is hope. Friends, we need to be a people of the resurrection a people who are not defined by our past, but rather we are set free. We're not stuck in that climactic point of the movie where the fight is always raging, but rather we're not even in that place of falling action. Rather, we are beyond that because Jesus has gone beyond the grave and he's risen to new life for you. I love in Psalm 23, verse three, he renews my life and he leads me along the right path. This is the greatest of news for you today. So, who are we becoming? I want us, as I say this to myself, I want us to become a people who know that we are loved. That is it. That is all this message is about, that we will become a people who know that we are loved, that even in the darkest valley, we would know that we are loved. 
Even in the darkest of moments, when things seem bleak, we would know that we are loved, even when it feels like the world has turned its back on you. To quote the Lion King, no, you turn your back on the world. (laughs) Like even when things seem bleak, you know that there is a God who is with you. Who are we becoming? I want us to become a people who know that we are loved. That we have a great comforter and a good, good shepherd who is with us. And so what I felt the Lord just instill on my heart this week from my own place of despair, sadness, and deep-seated grief, is that the Lord never leaves me. That in spite of my brokenness, the Lord doesn't leave me. Rather, it's in the opposite direction. He draws me close. That in spite of my doubt, the Lord doesn't judge me. But rather, he says, come with your questions and let's talk. That in spite of my mistakes and my shortcomings, the Lord doesn't condemn me for foolish ways. Rather, he says, I died for you. I went to the cross and I see all your sin, all your mistakes, and I take them on myself. I take all the dirt and all the shame and all the fear and all the hatred that you feel in your own heart, and I take it all. All the bad choices. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are made whole, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that I've done for you. And I close with these words from Romans 5 verse 8. But God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Catch those words. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still messing up, Christ died for us. While we're in that place of darkness, Christ died for us. While we felt like the world was against us, Christ died for us. While we were still messing up, Christ died for you. It's the act of abundant love. And so I wonder today, I'm going to close here. But I wonder today, just as I've been vulnerable before you, I wonder, do you need to do the work of being vulnerable before the Lord? Is there a place of brokenness in your heart? A place of deep-seated fear? A place of anger, frustration, bitterness? That you just need to lay before the Father and say, God, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. This is what's going on. I need you. I'm walking through that darkest valley. Would you be my comforter? I wonder if that's you today. I wonder if like Ruth and I on the scooters, you know where you want to go. You know the destination. The road ahead is clear. But something externally is stopping you. Maybe the lies of the enemy have come in. Maybe you've had false talk in your your head for so long about who you are. Maybe you just need to rid yourself of that today. You've become to believe the lies. But you know where you want to go. Destination is not. But there is something external stopping you. So may we, no matter what we're going through, no matter what the darkest valley is, may we become a people who know that we are loved.